0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What?, a comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the Not-So-Solitary Fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I talk for just a hair under two hours about Avengers Age of Ultron, opus by the late, great Satoshi Konu. Multiversity number two, convergence Shazam number one, and a whole mess of 40s: Superman number 40, Justice League number 40, and Batman number 40, as well as our usual not so 40-ish, much, much more. Show notes, not thrown coats or blown stoats, are available at Waitwoodpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at Waitwoodpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening.
1: Jeffrey open commas Jeff Close commas Lester <laughs> Graham Open commas Graham close commas McMillan how are you? I'm fine although I said commas, I mean it quotation marks. Quotation clearly marks. what I meant. To it say. Is what you commas, really. Well ah, for about? crying out loud. Hey everyone! Welcome to uh Wade Bot that's different for Jeff and I, but probably not for you, in that we're recording on Sunday, which we never do.
0: No. It's true. It's true. Hopefully we'll we'll never have to do this again. So. <laughs> anything could happen. God knows, as a man who watched his entire computer just blow up before his very eyes. Anything. Is that what happened? No, uh, no. sort of, yes. I mean, what happened... What tr-
1: do, like, do we not continually have problems with your computer? You know what? That's is this not like the second or third time this has happened, like, last year? This is so unfair, Graham. First off... Yes, it is the second time.
0: Um, at least. Maybe the third. I'm a little dubious actually about um just how sturdy this supposed Mac Air actually is cuz yeah, it totally like 4 months after I brought it into this the to the store and had them replace like pretty much everything including the display. Uh, Thursday, the display on my computer just, it's like, it was fine 20 minutes earlier, and then it came back and turned on the computer again, because I had turned it off to not overheat it and all that sort of stuff, and the monitor basically bifracted, you know? It was one of those scary situations where all of a sudden... The the monitor just had, like, a huge line down one corner, and it was inverting stuff in the borders. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, it was, and it really was. It was that classic, like, okay, this isn't even any sort of, like, I don't even want to dick around with the, like, go online. Although I did, of course, because stupid me, I'm like, well, maybe resetting the SRAM will
1: help, you know? like. (laughs) I see. I'm even impressed that you you know what that means because I'm like, if that happened to me, I'd just cry. I'd be like, what? No! Like mm-hmm. resetting the SRAM? What the hell is that? Well, I mean, it's just it's.
0: I I want to say like I'm I'm really sophisticated and smart, but it's literally just I went online. It's like Mac not working, and they're like, oh yeah, reset the PRAM and the DRAM by holding down like control option shift P while the computer's off and then back on and, Anyway, I went through all the RAMs. There's apparently an amazing number. the P ram P-RAM, D-RAM, S-RAM, which is another one that you have to, like, more or less access by booting up the BIOS when you read. And you know what? All of it was shit, Graham. It was just an enormous waste of time. I should have just gone <laughs> to the Mac Wait, store. But, but you did eventually, sprinkles. right? Oh, yeah, I did. I, the first appointment that I could get, which, of course, was 7.30 at night. So there's nothing better than Thursday night. And this is... This is Listeners, I swear we're getting to the comic books very soon, very soon, because I'm sure no, I I don't even want to talk about this chapter of my life, (laughs) which was supposed to be the Jeff alternates between being productive and fucking off because his wonderful wife is in New York for, you know, five days. Instead, it was a, hey, it's two hours until you take your wife to your airport. Why not have your one computer just suddenly start? you know, smoking and, and speaking in the tongues of the devil. So so instead, it's been kind of a weird, manic,
1: like, oh, sure, I can write on this iPad, you know, type, that, that sort of desperation. The iPad is perfect for writing on, because that's what everyone wants to write on, a tiny little kind of annoying keyboard. Oh yeah, well, see that's it i I had all the other stuff
0: set up. It really was i've had the I've got the Bluetooth keyboard. I'm like, all I need is the stand anyway. The point being, Graham, I've just spent the last couple of days crying and watching some terrible movies, but not well, really to be the fair,
1: characters. the watching the terrible movies part was part of your plan that, that it's, that, the, it's, it's it. the crying part that yeah. that is unusual, and even then you know that's it's not the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: like my nieces, are becoming uh, all too horribly comfortable with my crybaby status, I have to say. <laughs> it really is. Uh,
1: uh, it's since I thing is, I can totally imagine your nieces being like, Jeff, crying! Stop crying, Jeff! Stop crying!
0: <laughs> it, it is one of the best parts of our visits. So, Graham, speaking hey, of crying... Jeff! Tell me about Avengers. I haven't seen it. I know you have. I know everyone wants
1: to hear what you have well, to say about here's, it. Here's here's my question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Did you like the first Avengers?
0: Uh, yeah, it was all right. Yeah.
1: Did you think what if it was? What if it felt twice as long, even though it's not, mm-hmm. and had far too many characters in it?
0: Yeah, I uh, I I was really because af- if if yeah. you did,
1: <laughs> then you will love Age of Ultron. <laughs> This is my lucky day, huh? Uh, Age of Ultron is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's complete... It's much like the first Avengers for me. Great when you're in the theater. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, as popcorn for the eyes, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's got enough uh, snarky humor. And I was going to say it's got enough character moments, but it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got enough smark- snarky humor and enough spectacle to... That you're completely pulled along, and to be honest, James Spader is great.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: James mm-hmm. Spader is—I I don't know what I expected James Spader to be like as Ultron. I think I expected him to be less mm-hmm. sarcastic mm-hmm. and less human. Even though, like, they all in all the interviews, they were like, "No, we got him because he's so human." But, um, but it's—he's—he's he's very quirky, mm-hmm. and that really added a lot to my enjoyment of the film. Oh, good. Um, but it's honestly one of those films that the more you think about them, the more you're like, ah, wait, <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, I, I guess, ah, yeah, okay, ah. and that, um, yeah, sure, okay. And the more I think about it, the less I like it. Mm. So it's I mean, it does its job. I left the theater being like, hooray, mm-hmm. that was great. But I also left the theater thinking I don't need to see another Avengers movie for for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I I I've seen enough. Mm-hmm. I suppose the first one where I left and I was like, sure, I, you know, I'll I'll watch another Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. This was really like, yeah, OK, sure. I'm now, done. Just, I've, I've, I've seen two of them now.
0: Now, just out of curiosity, so, hmm, so would you – you would say that that is more from seeing this specific film the way it was made uh, as opposed to uh, something uh, – the cinematic version of superhero event fatigue kicking in?
1: Um, it is both Mm. because I very much expected to have that reaction coming out of the Captain America film, but the Captain America film, I was, I left sort of going, yeah, that, that was, that was well done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that was good. Mm -hmm. Um, and this one, and and also with Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I came, I came away being like, sure. Okay. You know, that, that was fun. And this one, I really did come away with that was fun, but. Mm -hmm. Like, that was fun, but I think I'm done. Hmm. Um, There are some very funny for the wrong reasons things in it. Mm -hmm. Um, It is obsessed. It is a movie that is utterly obsessed with making sure that you know, that the Avengers know, that there are civilians around. (laughs) The amount of focus on, let's get the civilians clear of the damage, is hilarious. Mm -hmm. And must be a reaction to Man of Steel. Do you think Man of Steel? Do you think? Yeah, I think think it has to be a reaction to Man of Steel. Because Man of Steel was slaughtered by fans for Superman not saving civilians. Well, Absolutely torn apart. That's true. That's true. Uh, And there is so much time Mm -hmm. spent in this film. And, And what's funny is there's so much time spent with characters going, let's get the civilians, you must get the civilians, and saving civilians, but only in certain scenes. There's other scenes where, like... Buildings are being torn to fucking parts. Right. And no one says anything. Right. Well, but, see- like, there's enough emphasis put on it. Like, uh, when Iron Man is fighting the Hulk, mm-hmm. there's a specific piece of dialogue, which is, find the closest un, uh, uninhabited building. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, and I'll buy it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's this really weird, awkward shout out to, yeah, superheroes cause all this damage. But the Avengers are on top of it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and like the climactic showdown with Ultron, the majority of what the Avengers are doing are saving the civilians. Like Captain America gives a speech, which is basically like, hey, civilians are going to be okay with us. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's really, it's completely lampshaded mm. in this really inorganic way. Mm-hmm. I I didn't go, you know, these guys are great. They're taking care of the little guys. I was like, why is this film so obsessed with this?
0: Do you think, um, is it possible that this is the part of the setup for the uh, the, very awkward setup for the the coming Civil War concept that they're trying to do? No, no, no.
1: You get far more awkward setup for Civil War just in the conversation, the dialogue between Iron Man and Captain America all through the film. Mm -hmm. Like that is, it's, again massively unsubtle. <laughs> I mean, really, you get them arguing and, you know, they're saying things like... You're no, not being
0: very civil.
1: No, no, like, you know, you're not being proactive enough, ah, Captain America. Right. You're being too proactive, Iron Man. Like, it's re—it's that unsubtle. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, it, it's... I don't think the civilian thing is, is civil war uh, at all. I th- I think it's really just I I really do think it's it's either covering their ass or being snarky about Man of Steel and their reaction to it. Hmm. Okay. Um, but it's it's like it's distracting. Mm-hmm. It's really distracting. Hmm. Um, it's a weirdly uneven film. Mm-hmm. It, it's what works works well, mm-hmm. but uh, I have absolutely no doubt that there really is like a, an original cut that's an hour longer, as as Joss Whedon said. Because it really feels like a lot of what I would expect from Whedon has been pulled out of it in mm-hmm. favor of the. Let's get to the action set piece. Let's get to the next action set piece. Let's get to the next action set piece. Right. Um, the character moments are are fairly stripped back. Mm-hmm. Um, the my f- I can't really go into spoilers because you've not seen it. Um, there's uh it looks like Whedon is playing so into a trope. Like, so amazingly steering into a particular trope mm-hmm. that he ends up subverting. But even, even the subversion is really unsubtle and doesn't really pay off how much he was playing into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get a lot of characterization, which feels very much like, Hey, you guys. Hey, you wanted to know more about this character? Sure. Here's more of this character. You want us to know more about this character? Here's more of this character. Look, it's the Vision. You know? Um, The Vision's great. Paul Bettany's very good as the Vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Vision's origin is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The last part of the Vision's origin comes from a piece of utterly nonsensical exposition slash setting up the future movies that is so amazingly brazen really? that you kind of want to be like oh can we just stop the movie here to think about this <laughs> <laughs> like can we just stop for a minute mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and think about how what has just happened has no relevance to the rest of the film other than we want to set up the Thanos plot for the next film mm. Um, I mean, again, I kind of wish I could go into detail, but I don't want to spoil it for you.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you'll, you'll know it when you see it. Put it that way. Gotcha. Uh, there is a a subplot, a relatively short subplot. It's only like three or four scenes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but a subplot that makes <laughs> has nothing to do with the rest of the film at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is clearly let's set up the the sequel, and and it's it's. It really is nonsensical. It it, it comes out of nowhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It goes nowhere within this film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With the exception of... It, it kind of leads... It kind of connects to the Vision's origin. Mm-hmm. Um, But it is... It's so bluntly. Uh, you guys are probably wondering if we're ever going to talk about Thanos in this film. <laughs> okay, here's your Thanos scene.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: which is just it's wacky it, it 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 feels i saw someone online talk about the fact that age of ultron is one of those films that is made by one man who wrote it and directed it and yet it feels like the most committee-driven film ever
0: hmm. yeah i i i would think that well of course that's problematic for me about a lot of marvel's films i guess you know it just sort of they're there's a little bit of creep. as, as much as I enjoyed uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in a totally uh disposable way, you know. Um there was still definitely that feeling that uh you, you could you could see the committee stamped widgets that had to be fit into the film. Oh yeah,
1: and it's it's much more in Avengers. Uh Avengers is the film where the shared universe concept mm-hmm. overwhelms the movie mm. and kind of points to all the problems with the shared universe concept. Um, there is, again, I can't go into spoilers. There are specific things that, uh, should land and should have emotional weight, but do not because it's coming after earlier films or, you know, that things have happened in other stories mm-hmm. and you're like, well, you know, what's the point then? Mm. um, also, it's hilarious that for maybe the last half of the film, you have all these characters basically saying, we're not going to get out of this alive, which is totally false drama because you know they are because you know they're in the next Captain America film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's that point where I feel that you almost just shouldn't put that into the film anymore mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's so obviously false jeopardy. right? Do you know what I mean? Like, to have Captain America and Iron Man, who the fans know are going to be in the next film. Mm-hmm say, neither of us are going to make it out of this one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no way to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really are left with this this moment of complete dissonance where, if it was a standalone film,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you'd be like, well, how are they going to get out of this? But because it's not, you're like, they're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it really feels like the film where... The, the shared universe becomes problematic for Marvel. Uh, and I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's just something that's going to continue for all of Marvel's films going on. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's something that was just like it overwhelmed Whedon in this film. That he was just amazingly conscious of, it, of all the other moving parts. Uh, I think it's really... It's been very telling for me seeing Whedon promote the film. Because A, he seems like the most tired man on the planet. Mm-hmm. And B, He's like, he actually gave an interview where he's like, as far as I'm concerned, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show does not take place. Like, does not exist. <laughs> because he <laughs> fucking created the show. He created the show
0: and he says it, it doesn't actually yeah, take place because, in the because, universe. Because as
1: he, because as he says, mm-hmm. like, it's, it destroys the resonance of Coulson dying in the first film. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, Coulson is still dead because we can't do this film if Coulson's alive. You know, And when he's saying that, and he fucking created the show... Yeah, that that is a bad sign. Did
0: you uh, uh to weave some other comics into it, uh, uh or just, just keep it keep it feeling like a discussion, Graham. Uh did you what? read Superman forty?
1: What yes, I week, liked it. Week? Did you? I loved it. I was really surprised.
0: I, I actually quite liked it a lot too. Um I, who knew that John Romita was that strong a writer? <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean, honestly, it has well, but there's, a, but okay, but see, here's another thing: is As I said it totally felt like connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that kind of weirded me out about it. I mean, it, well, first to give Ramita Junior his due. Yes, that was absolutely totally not just a readable issue of Superman, but actually an enjoyable issue of it was a really Superman. fun
1: issue of Superman. Yeah. And- for me, surprisingly strong, his character work.
0: Yes, yeah. His character work of ha- having uh, Clark and the JLA go out for drinks and talk about stuff. Like, it's it's really, it's sort of basic in a way. It's almost like, um, you know, it, it, it's a bit ultimate, if you get what I'm saying,
1: almost. Well, it it, it is and isn't. It seemed much lighter. Yes. Uh, much lighter than... The Superman title has been in general. Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, because the thing is, essentially, that's a setup for Clark doesn't have his powers, and so he gets drunk for the first time. Yes, which is set up for a joke that he then wakes up the next day, surrounded by McDonald's packets, and going, "What the fuck did I eat last night?" <laughs> which I loved. I loved that joke, <laughs> and it's such a small joke, but it's such a great moment. Yeah, there were there were lots of great moments. Honestly,
0: having just having Romita Junior figure out the way that all of those characters look like uh, the fact that he kept Aquaman and flash color coded, I guess was just, yes, was kind of wonderful. Like having, having Barry wear a little hipster, yellow hipster hat was just the best,
1: but it it was super fun. And Mm -hmm. giving Batman a sense of humor that, uh, made him seem less of a standoffish dick. Mm -hmm. And, more like scott snyder's batman
2: mm, mm-hmm. do you know what i
1: mean like cause i feel that jeff johns writes batman as batman mm-hmm. and i feel that scott snyder's batman is, is a different character and i feel that romita got snyder's batman in there mm, interesting
0: yeah i don't know it's tough because because of course i'll want to circle around to that as well too yeah yeah
1: i, I know we're gonna for that
0: oh also i did you read justice league this week i did not I okay think. well then we'll talk about okay, that as well be great but so the thing that actually sort of worries me is on the one hand, yes episode is issue was enjoyable uh i i, I quite liked it part of me was like, oh my goodness, I kind of hope that Romita jr kind of has his um you know gets another shot to to right yeah, exactly cross. I, I was entirely I
1: would... yes. Exactly. I would very much like to see him do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I was a little worried that... How do I put it? It's This is going to sound
0: weird, but part of me is uh, was weirded out by the fact that Romita Jr. is clearly moving a story ahead that he did not come up with necessarily. And yet...
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's totally, you know, the space between the Johns and... Jin Yang run. Well, Hopefully. but but it also sets up the, the whole thing with Clark and
0: Lois at the end there. Uh, looks like it's setting up what's going to be coming with the, the Divergence. Yeah, which is the Jin Yang run. Yeah, so so part of me is kind of like, so like, how do I put it? Yang doesn't get credit for the plot. No one seems to get any sort of credit for plotting, you know what I mean, apart from Romita Jr., which just sort of means that the editorial hand that is sweeping this stuff forward
1: is is uncredited but clearly there you know well what's i agree with you mm-hmm. but what's interesting was uh in the promotional interviews for this issue you had Rumita and yang both say that the i mean can we talk about what's coming up or not sure. yeah i think we should because i mean okay theory, so, so what's what's coming day, up so. yeah what's coming which i totally didn't pick up <laughs> I, didn't yeah, I didn't get either. the story yesterday yeah. so you know whatever um the plot that lois is going to reveal superman's secret identity to the world um is yang and, and uh, Romita were both like yeah that was that was thought up by all of the superman writers in committee mm. okay um and so like they talked about it in interviews you're right that it's not like it's hinted at here with a to be continued mm-hmm. but there's no like you know thanks to gene yang for plot assist or right. or whatever mm-hmm. there it does introduce an idea that is clearly not Only Rumitas, shall we say. Yes. If not, not at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's there's no... There's nothing there to sort of identify the authorship of the idea. But part of me is also like, that's kind of... Isn't that what we want from superhero comics? Like, when you had... When you're reading Marvel in the 70s and 80s, -hmm. and you had writers play with other writers' ideas, Mm -hmm. you didn't have, like, you know, story by Steve Englehart using concepts by Steve Gerber.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do
1: you know what I mean? Like it was just—it's uh, part of this grand universe, and we're playing with all the toys aspect. Yes, but, yes, but but, uh, but uh, no, no, no. You know know I, I, mean? I, I I know what you're saying. It's something I I have been—it's uh, something I've been struggling with in relation to Justice League Forty,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which is Jeff Johns. But really, should have a story by Jeff Johns after having read Multiversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> credit. <laughs> really? Uh, well, it's, the, it's it's a prologue to um the Dark Side Wars storyline. Mm-hmm. And it basically takes the and I might be wrong that this is a Multiversity idea, but definitely I've, it was in it appeared in Multiversity. The idea that all of the crises in DC's publishing history
2: mm-hmm.
1: are part of DC Universe's fictional history. And so it explicitly refers to Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. Zero Hour, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, and Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. And explicitly it like, refers to them as having happened. Uh, and you have Metri- cause it's a conversation between Metreon and uh, the, the Anti-Monitor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you explicitly have Metreon saying, like, this universe cannot go through another crisis. Mm-hmm. Like enough, <laughs> it it he basically says all of this has been restarted too often.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We can't do this again. It's not something anyone's going to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you know it's it feels very much like he's the John's either came up with this idea independently of Morrison, not impossible, mm-hmm. um, or read multiversity and in particular the handbook issue. And was like this totally ties in with what I want to do with the storyline. I'm going to take this idea and use it as the basis for my prologue issue. And so it, it, it's it's a very odd issue. Mm-hmm. It's got some nice ideas. Uh, the anti-monitor is created the Mobius chair that Metreon uses is <laughs> one of the edges that's just tossed out there, right? Um, I like and I I love the idea that everything that has been published has happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's pretty much now canon. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think once it appears in Justice League, it can be written off as, Grant Morrison was high. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, th- I think a lot of multiversity can be written off for whoever wants to as, that was in that book. But mm-hmm. I think when you bring it over into Justice League, right, which has always been portrayed as like, it's the lead book of the, con- of the, the line. Yes. Then you pretty much are saying, yes, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... But but it's um, but it's hm you know,
0: right? Well, and and so you find do you find that problematic or is that closer? Well, no, to the,
1: yeah. I I don't know
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I, much more so than Superman, and guys like, like should Morrison have gotten a credit or shouldn't he? Like, because Morrison, I mean, Morrison definitely is one of these writers who's like, I am adding to this fictional universe, right? Like, I'm putting these ideas out there because I want other people to pick them up, right? But okay. I did finish it as. Morrison wrote like, you know, a third of that issue without meaning to <laughs> Morrison wrote the third of that issue. Well, I don't know. You know, it's kind of this, this is
0: that weird, you know, to, to turn the glove inside out again. This, this is the, the part and parcel occupational hazard of the shared universe. Um, yeah. Which, which is interesting, I suppose, because I, I would, of course, like to go on to talk about the conclusion of multiversity in, in just a second, too. Yes. But, yes. Um, but you know, is the idea of – that people have the freedom to, to take other people's ideas and run with them and, and, and play with them and develop them. One of the things that I've been – uh, reading is, in a way, it was such a foolish little bit of digital hoarding. But I picked up the uh, Thanos versus Avengers trade off Comicsology because it was like four ninety nine and four hundred and fifty some odd pages, and um, I had sworn I was pretty sure that I had read the majority of it because it's you know it's basically ninety percent of Starlin's Thanos stuff. Uh, leading or I should say it's pretty much all of the Thanos stuff leading up to that Avengers annual seven Marvel two and (laughs) one annual two thing Um, Mm -hmm. but there's a there's a lot of stuff in the way like rereading the um, this the issues of Iron Man where the Blood Brothers pop up and 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 it really is it's Starlin drawing and plotting and I want to say it's Friedrich uh, writing, and they shoehorn in the the mythology. Just it's just it's just shoveled in there with a coal shovel. You know, it's like here here's more of it, and then and now the history of Titan and all the Chronos <laughs> exactly. guys. I hope I hope you need to know this because right. because we're giving it to you. <laughs> it really is just such huge, extensive parts. Meanwhile, you know, Tony starts kind of standing there on the margins of his own book, being like. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just. If you guys need me, just, just sort of wave a flag and I'll come in. Yeah, the exactly. I, I'm stuff. over here. Yeah. yeah. I'm just. I'm right here. And at some point, if you want, I can whine about my heart. You know. But it is this idea of like you know. Then it's Engelhart and Gerber and all those dudes taking the stuff with Starlin. You know, usually with his his tacit approval. And trying to to build out this universe that's happening in these weird corners is like Iron Man, and then a Marvel two and one, and then some Daredevil issues, you know, and cap, and then of course in Captain Marvel where it it really picks up all this steam. All that stuff is quite fun, and it 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 is the uh, enjoyment of the shared universe. To me, there was I just had a little bit of that ah of like oh my god, like I've got I've got two three issues of like early daredevil in here for almost no reason other than it you know it's the first appearance of moon dragon like how crazy is that exactly Mm
1: -hmm. and that's that's something that when we were kids yeah was totally fun like it was fun to see people run with each other's ideas and then you get to being the 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 cynical bastards that we are now (laughs) well no but you know i mean and like you you do get to a place of like Yeah, but you're using someone else's ideas. Well, like, shouldn't you name them?
0: You know, it's funny how that works because there is a little bit of the, you know, just if part of me is like, my worry isn't so much about the naming in the sense of getting people the credit. Although I do think there are times where that is super important, certainly for created characters. but, But it's more for me that idea kind of, Kind of the multiversity two idea of like kind of like be careful what you let into your head. Like at that point, it becomes really easy for books to turn into um, storylines that are basically being created and driven by editorial, you know, fiat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that is and that's a little more problematic. Like there is something that's a little problematic to me about this issue of Superman, which on the one hand is. You know, it's it's Romita Jr. picking up the reins that were left to him and carrying the ball up the, the field and doing such a good job at it that, you know, people like you and me are like, let's see more and hopefully the editors feel the same way and we might see him actually write and draw his own DC book in a way that wouldn't be, you know, a terrifying David Finch-esque nightmare. Um, and yet, at the core of it, there's part of me that's still like, but it's much more... It's much more company work than yeah. than it presents itself to be. And it's the same thing with Avengers Avengers H Voltron is that idea of like people are walking into it being like, Okay, this is going to be a Joss Whedon movie and it seems to me there are
1: points where Oh, it's it's there are points where it's not. Where it clearly like it's, can't be. It's hilarious because we have, and I think many people have, mm-hmm. made uh, jokey and or horrified references to the fact that, you know, the company creates these things mm-hmm. and the people don't, but Age of Ultron feels like a Marvel Studios movie, not a Joss Sweden movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, in a way... Which is like, it probably makes them
1: very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you right. know what I mean? Like he, he's done his job because his job is to create a Marvel Studios product. Oh, I've totally just reminded me. And um, just before Avengers came out, the uh, Pixar movie Inside Out, which mm-hmm. is the animated movie that's coming out the summer about the emotions inside someone's head. Yes. Uh, they did a cross promotion with Avengers, where it's the characters from that from the Pixar movie watching the Avengers trailer and mm-hmm. reacting to it. Right. Uh huh. Which could be a cute idea, but ended up disgusting me <laughs> because. <laughs> They're like, ooh, ah, and then the Marvel Studios logo comes up, and they all cheer. Uh, and I was man. like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you that they cheer at the logo. That upset me so much. Well, but it's not necessarily inaccurate. I mean, I... no, it's not. Like, you should have seen the, like, I mm-hmm. went to the first, I went to the first screening at the Baghdad Local Theater for me. Oh On man. Thursday, it see. was
0: showing you just walked like two blocks or Yeah something. I walked
1: two blocks and it was there. Oh, ah, that's how living. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was at the first I was at the first screening. Mm-hmm. Such a fanboy crowd that the Star Wars trailer, which let's face it, all of the audience will have seen before. It, it, it was, multiple times was, There was a cheer for the Lucasfilm logo Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not <laughs> yup yeah. Right? Oh, there was man. a cheer for the Marvel logo. There was a cheer when the Avengers logo came up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, it's it's totally accurate that, that that like the Pixar thing, the cheer for the movie. The logo, but I hated it. Oh yeah. Hated it. Yeah. I I it's like you know, the cross promotion was kind of tacky in, in the first place. hmm But to have the characters cheer for the logo in the cross promotion, I was just like, fuck you all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's something funny about going to see the, the the movie and everyone cheering for all the logos. Mm-hmm. They played the Ant Man trailer. Uh-huh. People were not into it. Uh-huh.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah,
1: really, right? Uh-huh. It's like
0: people should Marvel should be worried about. Ant- hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't know if they are, but they should be. Oh, they're worried. I mean, this is the thing. Marvel. I mean, I don't. I don't know if they are, Jeff. <laughs> I think they're more worried about Guardians. <laughs>
0: They were more worried about Guardians. And maybe Guardians is the one that kinda gave them that feeling of you know how everyone we was can just, do everything. Yeah, that, that that complete sketch that came out like right after. It was like, Yeah, whatever, we can you know, I think in a way there's they believe that now in a way that they weirdly enough, started you know, lost faith in right before Guardians came out. And so it's it's really a, a fascinating adventure in Misplaced faith, I suppose, but you know who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll come out. I think it's, I think it's probably going to flop,
1: and it'll be Marvel's first, and, yeah, and everyone know, will just God. the thick pieces that will flood the internet of has Marvel's streak ended? <laughs> you, I mean, it will oh, if it flops. Oh yeah, there's going to be a month of what went wrong retrospectives and sheer fucking glee and you know like is this the end of the world is this sky falling right and the answer to all of them is wait until the next captain america comes out and makes more money than god
0: right right exactly or if it doesn't for whatever reason then that's that's when those pieces really deserve to be written yeah
1: well what i'm super curious about is whether batman superman uh batman versus superman is going to seal civil war thunder mm. hmm. well it's coming out like two months before and it's superhero you know versus superhero you know
0: yeah uh i i mean it could probably do very well but i suspect that marvel is basically at this point just competing with marvel
1: i mean i i uh, yeah i think you're probably right i think disney's competing with disney i think the only thing that can really hurt marvel right now other than itself is star wars yeah,
0: yeah exactly but you know, because they're sort of in the the same bed together, mm-hmm. it's it, it's so much easier Although, for
1: them to do a creative reach around. What's that? I don't know. I, I Star Wars. You saw that Josh Trank is off the the movie. Yeah. Um, Star Wars. I'm kind of fascinated by it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because Josh Trank is off. Uh, Gary Whitta was is off of Rogue One after yep. working on it for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first writer for The Force Awakens was off after working on it for a year. Yep. And I'm wondering if Lucasfilm is just like much tighter with the reins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, by Lucasfilm,
0: we really mean J.J. Abrams people, right? No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no. no. We mean Lucasfilm. We mean Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, Could be. I mean, Kennedy's got, you know, she's been in the business a long time, uh, usually with people with some degree of quality. But I'm fascinated by the idea that that Star Wars that essentially they're trying to kind of do the Marvel equivalent of Star Wars which is kind of like oh we're we're going to build a a multi platform of movies and it's not like like Marvel arguably did it right and it takes and it takes a while it's it's probably better to sort of slow cook it you know even though it looked like ridiculous fast track by Hollywood standards previously, that Marvel was like, yeah, we're doing a Captain America movie, we're doing a Thor movie, and then we're doing an Avengers movie. And people, were, I'm sure, were like, oh, that's kind of brazen. Like, none of these characters are tested in the,
1: what if Captain America fails? What if Thor flies? Oh, I, 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 I remember all that conversation mm-hmm. before. Yeah. like I mean, you remember before Captain America came out, everyone was like, oh, people aren't going to go and see Captain America.
0: Yeah, right. You know, it really was that thing of like, it was incredibly,
1: it, it, it was incredibly it really, palsy. really risky mm-hmm. Yeah it, And it is and, and, then, it and then you've got today, mm-hmm. like, Sony are like, we've made a five movie deal with Valiant That will end in a crossover Yeah see. And like, that, like, that's the announcement The yeah. announcement isn't, we're making a Bloodshot movie and we're making a Harbinger movie Yeah,
0: exactly
1: it's, it's, we're making two movies each of these, both these franchises and then they cross over
0: Yeah yeah. And I mean, that's very much, uh, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like Marvel, the way Marvel did it, raked in ridiculous amounts of money, as I know you know, of course. But consequently, it really does have everyone oh, else kind of going. Mm-hmm. It changed the game. Exactly. Because really you can see how everyone is playing it in in a, a post-Marvel Hollywood.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, you even, you now get, you know... We're doing the Ghostbusters shared universe. Yes. We're doing the Transformers shared universe. That's right. And it's it's stunning mm-hmm. because you want to be like, "No, Transformers can like Transformers genuinely can support one movie." Yeah. Ghostbusters can support one movie. Yeah. Like Marvel can support multiple because it's literally a shared universe. It's yeah. not one concept you're trying to make into multiple franchises. Yeah,
0: exactly. So so there is a lot of, I'm sure star, the people at Star Wars are kind of like, okay, we got into this with the idea of fast-tracking a multiple platform. And it very much is a Marvel blueprint. You know, it's like, this is something that's been around for years. The fans love. There's a huge audience for it. You know, we can turn around. We can, you know, streamline this this machinery and just crank it out. As long as we do something that is it has that same level of you know fan service and you know like we know what you want kind of angle and it's clear looking at the force awakens trailer that they know they they've got a sense of what they need to do so in a way maybe the people rolling in and out is you know for those of us in the movie theater possibly a really
1: good sign um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just but it also I, is the I'm opposite sure, that it's yeah, the I'm machine. sure the movies. Yeah, I'm sure the movies are do fine. Yeah. I'm sure they're well, they're of going course, to be good movies. But it's it feels that Marvel exhausts their creators after two movies. Mm-hmm. John Favreau did two when he was quote unquote in charge of the Marvel Studios, saying and then disappeared. Whedon's done two and looks like a fucking shell of a man. Right. By the time he's disappearing, yeah. I mean, it's stunning to me that the Russos have essentially gotten four. And then the other day, I was like, "But I guess there's two of them." That's right. There's two. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, they're not—they're uh, not writing like Whedon was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're—they're they're only directing. Yeah. Uh, but it seems to be that they exhaust people, and I feel that Star Wars ex- is exhausting people so much faster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We've sucked all the life out of you. Mm-hmm. You're, what's that? The film isn't out. That's okay. We'll—we'll we'll just replace you.
0: Well, because I, I on the on the one hand, I feel that well, we'll see. There's there's definitely different things going on there at each piece. I mean, Lord knows if Favreau, if either Favreau hadn't been, uh, uh hadn't been so into the idea of being equal, well compensated for what he was doing and or marvel had been like we absolutely positively need this guy i think that i think that he would have he would have at the very least been around for you know it probably would have been his avengers you know um but
1: i don't know i see i'm not sure it would i think as soon as whedon came on the scene they were like done
0: maybe Maybe, could be, could be. But I, I do think that there is there is something to the idea that, that, well, I mean, part of it is it's very hard for me to gauge something like Avengers where it's like, I mean, that is just a ridiculous amount of work. I mean, it just is, you know? I mean, I just really think that even for someone who, who knew what they were getting into, which, which Whedon said that he was and he knew it just became so much bigger there's just so much i mean you're literally moving armies and armies of people not just in not just the small army in pre-production the big army in regular production and then you know a somewhat sizable army on post-production depending on your time window like that guy, I'm pretty sure he was, like, running the entire fucking time that he was doing this for, like, two fucking years, you know? <laughs> and I, and there is that kind of thing of, like, when the movie is that big and you've got to – and there's that much, much post-production effects, like, you're just – the number of moving pieces that you have to look at and okay is just – Is kind of monstrous. So Yeah,
1: bear in mind that, you know, he was also at that point quote unquote creatively directing the rest of the the cinematic universe. Right. Which is which, you know, God knows what that actually means. Yeah. But also he was having to keep up with, you know, hey, you just created the Asian's Shield Show, that's great, but Captain America the Winter Soldier is ending Shield. Yeah. So what are you gonna do then? Which is and I'm going to do a minor spoiler. For Age, mm-hmm. for uh, Age of Ultron, but it's not. It's really not a big thing. Right. Um, you can tell from watching Age of Ultron that Shield Shield was present in an earlier draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you clearly it was written. It was written for a world where Shield existed, and if Winter Soldier ended with, you know, it's a whole new world. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? Right. Uh, the answer is. Oh, it's it's just going to default back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nick Fury just shows up, and he's exactly the same as he was before. Right. All that stuff in Winter Soldier, where he's like, "I'm quitting the game, you guys." Right. No, it's uh, I'm out of it. I'm too old for this shit. Right. No. Not not Avengers. Like you you can tell, and the way that uh, Age of Ultron finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, it it pretty much is like, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed like Shield's ending, uh, but you know. We we kind of need that apparatus in the universe. <laughs> Yes. Right. So you know, we're just going to ignore that. Right. Which is uh, amazing if you think about it. I mean that really is. Like that's kind of that classic. You think about it? By the end of Winter Soldier, they're like, you know, like, shield, terrible, you know, mm-hmm. untrustworthy. As even as a concept. Mm-hmm. Like that amount of power it is is dangerous. It's problematic. We're doing away with it. Mm-hmm. By this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we have three S.H.I.E.L.D.s. Mm -hmm. Because we have two of them in the fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show alone. Right. Literally, we have two organizations called S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Uh, And then there is another organization in Age of Ultron, which, to all intents and purposes, is S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you guys just literally couldn't stay away. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, there, there's so many, and it's hilarious, because there's so many ways, it, it is the, it's one of the things that's frustrating. It's one of the deals that makes you go, like, it, it's why I fear the corporate widget, you know, it's the, the editorial fiat, because there is that, on a shared universe, you're, these things are supposed to have repercussions, but... You know, when you have a business but they don't. and it, well, because a business is looking at it strictly from the fiscal perspective of a shared universe, like, oh, we want this because it builds the audience for this. And that, you know, they look at it as a force multiplier for making money. But when it gets to the the very difficult part of shared universes, which is having stories actually resonate and build and change the scope of things. I mean, you know, they're not, they're a very, very long way from doing anything like, I don't know, Game of Thrones, you know, they're just not, yeah, it, you it, know,
1: it just, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's very, it, it, you know, this, this, I wrote something for THR about this. It's running today. Maybe this weekend, it's been the weirdest fucking week, Jeff. Um, but it's it's a Stanley line mm-hmm. that they, they don't want change. They want the illusion of change. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like not nothing, nothing can happen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe anymore.
0: I think my problem, and and I'm sort of okay with it, is just it's you know there's like there's change, there's the illusion of change, and then and then there's the people who are just. Saying that there's the illusion of change, you know what I mean. Like at least, at least having an illusion of change means you've got to work at making it look like something's changing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I just honestly think that there's something where it's like two lines in a script do not do not necessarily cut it, you know.
1: Well, what's what's fascinating is the, the end of Winter Soldier. Try again. The end of Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Uh, Shoulder Winter Shoulder great, yeah. Winter Shoulder is the next film. Uh-huh. Uh, the end of Winter Soldier <laughs> felt like a change. Mm-hmm. It did, which was why
0: it worked. And you were kind of excited. People were excited walking out of the movie. It was like, oh, but that then meant something.
1: Ev- mm-hmm. Everything that followed yeah, yeah. backtracked. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, is that enough?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it's, is it, surely it's not enough to have a cliffhanger mm-hmm. of brave new world if... Everything that follows is like not really. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, cause if you buy into that, it's like, well, that's enough of an illusion of change. Does that not mean that every cliffhanger is an illusion of change? Well, Cause I think that's true. Yeah,
0: I would. I would say that's right. You know, for the most part. I mean, the thing is, is that it's um, God, what is it? Uh you know, it's it's weird. The older I get, the more the more food metaphors just become inherently. Um, tied to my concept of, of potentially, uh, particularly serial storytelling. It's like, it's like when you've got, uh, when you order like, I don't know, Kung Pao shrimp, you know, and you know, the Chinese restaurant is going to only be able to give you a certain amount of shrimp in a meal that is called Kung Pao shrimp, you know, but you got to do other things with the food to make sure that, you know, and God only knows what that is, you know depending on how scary your restaurant is. You you
1: give it some kung and you give it
0: some pow. Yeah, you give it some kung, you give it some pow, you deep fry some other stuff, you know, you up their sauce. And so you're kind of like, oh, okay, every once in a while, there's a shrimp and you're okay with that, you know, but you can't be too skimpy with what you say is in the food. So the illusion of change every once in a while, to keep that illusion maintained, you really do have to change something. Sometimes that's killing a minor character, you know, sometimes that's... uh, you know, ending a government agency's existence, you know. But but the trick is, you really do for the... Sometimes
1: it's ending a government agency's existence. Well, you know, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I
0: just, I've been reading this 17-part serialized novel on Kindle, and they just did away with the, the Postal Service. Um, it's, it's Sexy Libertarians. Wait, I don't know if you've ever wait, read wait, this wait. series, but... Are, are... Are you
1: making this shit up?
0: Yeah, I'm making this shit up.
1: uh, (laughs) No, because I know that you read some really wacky stuff, Jeff. I know, I know, I know.
0: Part of me is like, ah... I'm like I should. You, just keep you my could mouth have shut. I know. I know. You should have just kept going. I would have believed you. I know. It just would have been like a long time. It's like ah, and then the sexy libertarians managed to dismantle the the tax uh, bypass route for the part.
1: Like, the part that eventually would have tripped you up was me being like, I refuse to believe you're reading this much libertarian stuff.
0: Well, that's true. Like, why are you reading it? <laughs> And then I'd be like, because it's sexy libertarians, Graham. <laughs> exactly. That's
1: right. It's not just libertarians. It's, it's sexy libertarians. Um, hey, let's – okay. Let's talk about multiversity because you – You, yeah, you said you want to. And, and I am I'm really curious about what you think of it. Uh, well, okay.
0: So the one thing that interested me about multiversity number two – there's a couple of things. One is how much of it was – Um, well, A, there was very little of it that, I I mean, my predictions about how that second issue were going to run was really, really off. Yeah. Two, um, perhaps after considering how really deeply witty I found the Ultra Comics haunted comic issue, I was like, okay, this is probably going to be a little bit of a, um good-spirited romp but i was not expecting like it's multiversity 2 is almost a cheery book for everything that it throws throws in there it's 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 struck me as pretty jaunty considering that you're you're got your big finale that's them fighting both the gentry and you know this this dark cosmic figure behind it But, um, you know, I was shocked. Part of me was like, if if Multiversity issue number two had been Multiversity issue number one, I almost feel like the series would have sold a lot better and drew a lot more attention. Because it shocked me how much it was like, it was much, much closer to a crisis book. I mean, it's literally labeled that way, but it really is kind of like a, oh no, here's a big, you know, crisis book where I've drawn together all the various heroes. It's just, these are all heroes from different universes and timelines, but it's, a lot of it still functions basically the same way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Morrison's last page in particular, I thought was hilariously cheeky Uh, and weirdly like... I'm surprised that it didn't strike me as mean spirited because it was basically that last page was kind of Morrison being like, "And that's why you do this sort of thing, kids, for the big bucks." You know, it's just really odd.
1: Um, I I found I, I'm going to have to reread it first of all uh-huh. uh, because, as I alluded to earlier, and I've told you in email, I had a super weird, super full week, uh, and I read it. I read first issue two when it came in. Like, I got it in the mail on Tuesday and, like, stopped what I was doing to read it. Right. Because I was like, it's like the last issue. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Um, And it fell flat for me. Mm -hmm. Entirely. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, I've been like, I should reread it, and just haven't. Like other things have happened.
0: You know, I've been meaning to do the same thing too because I did. The way that it is flat is it's flat in just a very strange, maybe deliberately so. Like, oh, it's just a comic. Like it really is. Not like... not
1: only is it just a comic, it's just a comic that it feels like it is full of Morrison tropes. Mm-hmm. And that sure, I, he, I mean, he's even given an interview. He's like, it's the most me comic I've ever done. It's me to the point of parody, mm-hmm. but. But there's, it's doesn't even feel like parody, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have the sense of awareness that I feel that a, doing self-parody should have. Mm-hmm. It just feels like, like a, a Grant Morrison comic. It's very Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, and after everything else that's happened in Multiversity, right? I was like, wait, this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, when you said, when you started off saying like Multiversity issue two had been the second issue of Multiversity, mm-hmm. um. I'm not sure I would have kept reading.
0: Well, how do I put it? Like, it's that weird? Like, I feel like most of the Morrison fans would have stopped reading, but I almost feel like more... Everyone else would have been like, okay, sure. Exactly. Because I feel like Multiversity Number 2 feels like the comic shop version of Multiversity. You know what I mean? It's, It's what people say that they want from their big events. And it's very much like, okay, I'm going to play this out in a big event way, and he's doing different things, I suppose, with the panel layouts and stuff. But generally, what's oh, it's it's played astoundingly straight. Astoundingly straight, which is um, both to me. It, it, I guess it's kind of like if you decide to see that as or decide if you're if you if you just read it and are disappointed with it, I can't blame you, and I'm not surprised. I what amused me was how how flat it felt, but I kind of felt, for me anyway, that part of that flatness was the, well, here's, like, if Multiversity had somehow been, like, a big event, like, if this had actually been labeled Final Crisis, I think there's a lot of people who might have been really super stoked by the way that Multiversity to um, unfolds, yeah. Unfolds, but interestingly enough, Multiversity 2 actually kind of unfolds in a way that feels like a somewhere between a corrective and a middle finger in the air to people who complained about how Final Crisis ended, you know, like it because it, everyone who was saying there's really not anything that is unclear in multiversity number two, it's, it's very much everything is even, even considering the fact that you've got like, you know, an unnamed villain at the end, basically, you know, but it ends with those, well, ends, you've got the big, you know, two page spread of, you know, justice incarnate, you know, you've kind of got your moment of like, oh, here's, you know, here's the moment in legends where, you know, you've got your new team formed and it's going to spin off. Um, It's got all of those, it's got all the moments that you want, but I almost feel as if the point of all the previous issues is to make it feel empty, but maybe not, in which case Morrison's really failed or I'm being far too generous in it because because I'd hate to sit here being like, "Oh no, <laughs> I got the joke. None of it means anything. It's great, Graham. You got to reread just reread it a couple of times until hope and and will leave you, you know, until any real appreciation for what people can do. <laughs> just leaves
1: you. Then it's great, you know. Yeah, it's such an it's such an odd issue. It really like I said, it really fell flat in in a way that surprised me. Mhm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was, I was expecting it to... No, I wasn't expecting. I was perfectly prepared for it to not satisfy me. hmm But this felt beyond that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? This felt like right. he wasn't even trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I think points towards me reading it wrong. Uh, because he's clearly trying to do something. Do you know what I mean? Because right. I, I refuse to believe that after the other eight books in this series... That he then just gave up on the last issue, like yeah. that's that's ridiculous.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: No, but I, but yeah. that it felt like that for me sort of emphasizes for me that like I'm I'm doing something wrong as a reader. Uh, I don't think. I mean, this is one of those
0: weird deals where I feel like things get problematic for Morrison because Morrison is. You know, I've crotchily complained about it, and he sort of crotchily, you know, responded in various interviews. This idea that he does not give, except very good cues to the reader as what's going on and what to expect, and he's very much like, no, maybe if you're an old granddad, but I, I feel like I've got all the pieces are there, and you just have to, you don't even have to read that carefully. It's pretty explicit. And I, I feel that Morrison really does run the gamut of, well, hopefully we can talk maybe a, a brief bit about about Batman 40 as well. Okay, because...
1: yeah, let's. And also, this is going to be like the most DC heavy one because I also want to talk about Convergence in relation to multiversity. Okay. Um, but yeah, okay, let's talk about Batman 40 for a while. Because I saw you on Twitter say that you considered it uh, an ambitious failure. yes Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think okay, so why? Super. No, you... it's... The this issue mm-hmm. or the end game storyline in, in general. Well both. what didn't work for you? Uh,
0: but mm-hmm. both. I mean um, I, I wrote a piece that is uh, up on the website that just went up yesterday and I'm not sure is uh, uh, could have been a lot more complete in a way. But Batman 40 was, are you putting on content on Saturdays? You know, I'm not on
1: the internet. No, I know. Right. Of course not. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been,
0: I've been posting on Sundays recently, but so I tried to get, get things done a little bit ahead of time for a change. Um, it wasn't much. I was originally, back before the computer blew up, i will be like, oh boy, I'll have this up by Friday. Hooray! Of course, I was back when I was thinking we were going to be podcasting on Thursday. So, uh, <laughs> the, the thing about Batman 40 for me that is interesting is, is that um, it is a weirdly... It's the sort of comic that I should super love because, A, it is... It has... It's so much of its appeal... Uh, rests on sort of formalistic grounds. Like Scott yes. Snyder is making it, it. It is the issue forty is a series of statements of linked, connecting statements about the nature of Batman and the nature of the Joker, and the nature of theater and the nature of narrative and history, and it and a whole bunch, a whole hog of stuff that the whole Endgame storyline presents itself as and in its kind of really ballsy way it's like okay i i want to put a definitive statement on the batman joker story how it works why it exists and and specifically sort of the way in which You know, everyone runs around saying like, oh, the Batman, Batman and Joker are are co-joined. Like they feed off of each other. They're sort of yin and yang. But it's kind of like, why apart from one dresses as a bat and the other one doesn't? You know, it's kind of, what does that mean? Snyder really dives in deep to talk about the ways in which, you know, what the Joker represents, what Batman represents, and very specifically the ideas of comedy and tragedy. With, you know, Snyder explicitly saying at the end, like Batman is the story of a tragedy that and he knows it. And that's part of what makes Batman Batman is he knows that we are mortal and that our ability to die is part of what gives our lives um, genuine meaning. Whereas by contrast, the Joker is you know, represents comedy, the idea of a happy ending, as he says. I mean, it, it is something that is rendered perverse in part because of its, because of the immortality of death, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know? Now,
1: here's where I'm going to complicate things. Sure. I, as you know, mm-hmm. read Batman Manforte early because I was interviewing Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Yes. Uh, there's a bunch of my interviews that didn't go in the interview. Mm. Uh, because there's a, Punch that was spoilerific as shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not only about forty, because I was not, I I refused to give away like all of forty mm-hmm. uh, in the piece because it was going up like the morning of Wednesday, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, unless other people just went hell for leather, right? And we're like, and this is the ending, and I just yeah. refused to do that. But yeah. also, there was a, a lot um, in the interview about forty-one and and everything that's following. Mm-hmm. Greg Pillow, in particular really does not give a shit about spoiling stories which yes. is hilarious right. really, like, really genuinely funny um but part of the thing that didn't really go in mm-hmm. was um was Snyder's intentions with issue 40 mm-hmm. um and for Snyder according to him mm-hmm. in his conscious mind and what he's willing to say in interviews mm-hmm. uh it's not the Joker represents comedy. Mm-hmm. It's the Joker is meant to represent uh, essentially hopelessness. Yes, I'm sorry. He, he represents com- comedy because he talks
0: about the happy ending, but he is—he's the perverse version of that. You know, he really is the inverted version of. He represents hopelessness and particularly the hopelessness that's brought through death. And he it, well. You would know because you're talking to Scott Snyder. I'm like, no, no, let me tell you, Graham. Let me tell you what he's <laughs> well, doing there. Scott Snyder, all I know is what
1: he told me. I guess he, no, no, he no, no. might have been playing coy or whatever. No, 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 no. And, but, I, and um, I
0: do think that that comes through. There is a little bit of the um, – I think Rich pointed it out on Bleeding Cool too, maybe hip to some of this stuff as well, where he's like, you know, the speech that the Joker gives where he's a little bit of that – he's that little voice that is
1: basically telling you to give up
0: like at all times
1: yeah exactly like at the start of the issue where he thinks he has batman and it turns out to be dick grayson but he basically is like oh you did all this and look this this was still here if only you'd known you've done it all for nothing yeah like fucked up Mm -hmm. it's tough shit yeah you know like he he takes takes glee in the you've wasted your time oh yeah
0: yeah, you've wasted your time. You did it all wrong. If only you'd known. And he does. He salts the wound in a very vicious way. That's terrific. Um, my problem is, is ultimate... Oh, and I also want to say, there is there is part of me that struck... Because a lot of it is laid around the idea of Batman being mortal, it strikes me as a very specific... Like, I feel like Snyder is... Uh, is also engaging in a lot of... You know, meta dialogue, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very meta issue. And apparently everything that follows is amazingly meta.
0: Oh, really? Interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, apparently the next storyline... I'll I'll just tell you what he said. (laughs) I didn't run it in the piece, but I'll tell you here. Um, We had a whole part at the start of the interview that I didn't run, which was basically him saying, you don't don't do stories where you say Bruce Wayne's dead. Mm -hmm. He's like, because everyone knows Bruce Wayne comes back. Mm Mm-hmm. So the next story is, uh, is about the absence of Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he pointed out, like when Brubaker killed off Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. the book was really about Steve Rogers still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, so the book is going to be about Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. because it's really about the fact that Batman isn't Marvel.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, and so this is this is kind of that weird thing of, like, in order for Batman 40 to land, there's a lot of things that you're sort of like, okay, I kind of have to accept all these false... Pre- it seems heavily weighted on false premises, depending on how you look at it. Because there is that idea of, like, well, but Batman isn't dead, and we know that Batman isn't dead. And part of me was thinking, like, it would be really interesting to see Scott Snyder, like do the next year or so of Batman stories and then more or less like leave before Bruce Wayne comes back.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just be like, no, he's dead. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because it is that kind of thing of, for anyone who reads the Scott Snyder Batman issues, you know, as they're collected, that's how it reads. And it's kind of a, wow, holy shit. Cause he leaves right before, mm-hmm. but, so it was really enjoyable. It was a, it was a, it was fun to think about while reading, but it was also incredibly clumsily done. There was a lot of stuff that just felt. There's conversations that characters are having that feel unearned and. Oddly, like, why are they even talking about this? Like, there's a there's an ongoing obsession to uh, through all of Endgame. Once the idea is that that the Joker has lived forever and is it and is an immortal character that more or less you know founded Gotham, uh, it becomes this very strange, like, like part of me is like, Batman is what wi- weirdly concerned about this. Like he's like, no, he's lying. No, it's not the case. No, it's really important that that's not the case. And there's part of me that's kind of like, but what? You know, there's there's a way in which I feel like the old Batman would be like, I don't, I wouldn't care. I don't I, care. Yeah, if unless it gives me a tool to exploit to my advantage, I kind of don't care. You know, And so seeing, seeing Snyder's Batman be very, very worked up, like the big fight between Batman and Joker has a lot to do with this idea of the Joker being like, is he immortal or is he just pumped full of, you know, convenientism or whatever the Dionysium to keep him alive? Like, it seems like a very major part of, of the confrontation between the two. And it seems, it just seems weirdly, it it seems, I don't want to say it seems unearned, but there's a way in which Batman 40 was incredibly enjoyable for me on an allegorical level and, and just a pretty pictures level. But as an actual story, it seemed,
1: uh, it, it just kind of seemed like a, what a, a mess. You know? What's fascinating for me is I read Batman in collections. hmm So I'm reading the last part of Endgame before I've read any other part of Endgame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm reading the last part of Endgame without reading and a handful of issues of Batman Eternal. Yeah. Which I also feel weirdly p- feeds into it. Mm-hmm. um, And it worked for me much more than I would have expected it to. Like, I came away being like, that's that's a really well-done issue. That, like, I... I am on board with this not as the end of a story, but as the start of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, Because because I don't believe that, you know, like you kill Bruce Wayne, but you never kill Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like any story now where it's like, Superman's dead. He's clearly not. right. Right. And so you're really starting a, this is how we bring Superman back. And this is why we have killed him story. Yes. And so on that level, Mm-hmm. I, I was completely on board with it, and I think that I'm missing almost all of the nuance mm-hmm. because I'm reading it when I'm reading it and without having read the other things, but uh, but it worked for me.
0: Well, yeah, sure. I can see where – see, this is, again, one of the challenges of of not just shared universes, but sort of unending narratives is like – one person's ending is another person's beginning, you know? So yeah, there's a way in which it's like, oh, this is going to proceed for a variety of quote-unquote interesting stuff. But as a wrap-up to Endgame...
1: Yeah, well, that's just as a last part of a story I haven't read. Like, I I can't judge it. And I I completely acquiesce to your take on it because A, you're smarter than me. And B, you've read the story. (laughs) Well, uh, I I will
0: certainly cede point B to you. But I just think it's very – this seems to be a problem that I have with Snyder and Capullo's Batman all the way through. It's a book that I buy. It's a book that I, you know, more or less aggressively held on, decided to keep reading. Um, But it really is a book where I'm like – it – but it's okay. Like it's okay. Batman. It's not groundbreaking Batman to me in a way that I can't tell how much of that is DC's marketing hype and, and how much of it is people in the comics world literally being like, Oh my God, this is fucking great. Amazing stuff. It's like, it seems like very ambitious, you know, in some ways it's like the flip side of Jonathan Hickman. I like Hickman stuff a lot, but Hickman is also telling a big story about mortality when you know that there's a reset button coming, you know?
1: Yeah, and yeah but I, uh, they're different things. They, um, they are different things. In many different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, not least of which is Hickman is heading towards a literal reset
0: button. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Do you know what I mean? Like, whether or not the universe reboots, mm-hmm. he's heading towards a, the world will end and then the world will start again. Right. Whereas Snyder's heading towards a, people think this has happened to the character, but actually it's this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a difference between uh you know, hey, everything dies and then everything is reborn and uh, it is, like, we are being ideologically different, I guess. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, yeah, I may... maybe not, maybe not, maybe no, I'm... no,
0: no, no, no. no. I, I I kind of see your point, but I do think that they are um, actually for me. I kind of feel like multiversity and Batman and and Hickman's Avengers stuff are all things that ha- that are dealing with death. I suppose is in the background, like this weird sort of concept of m- mortality and and the weird quasi-immortality that exists mm-hmm. in comic books that allows certain things to be, I suppose, you know? And and I do think that, that the Batman-Joker piece, but even it called as Endgame, like, he's very much, oh, the Apollo-Dionysius thing, too, which is a big, big level of the, the lengths that Snyder goes. Again, ambitious, the ambition of okay, I'm going to posit why Batman's an Apollonian character and why and how the Joker's a Dionysian character. And he really, he digs down pretty deep. I mean, you know, in a way that is both incredibly laudable and um, slightly amusing because he really does have to stretch to make his points fit. But at least I feel (laughs) like if you read... You mean you didn't appreciate the cover? Oh, the cover's great. I mean, the cover's great. It's literally at some point where someone's ranting about why, you know, the Joker is like the founder of Gotham and he's like the Dionysian man because Gotham is like the you know because they used to sacrifice goats to Dionysius and and Gotham of course and is... the Joker
1: always wants to have goats sacrificed to him. Sacrifice
0: well, of course he does. Well, because Gotham itself is the is the goat. And interestingly enough, Gotham, (laughs) the name does indeed come from, like, a town of goats. The
1: name does indeed include the letters, G-O-A-T. G-O-T
0: and A. You just scramble it around, you know. So,
1: hmm, goat.
0: It's Gotham. That's what I'm saying, Graham. I'm literally saying he's setting <laughs> this up. He has a panel where he explains it. You can mock me, but mock Scott <laughs> Snyder. Where were you yeah. when you were interviewing him? Why weren't you mocking him about that? Huh? I didn't know that existed. That's hilarious. It's, it's there. It is there, and it is real, baby. It is real. In fact, uh, the, I'm half convinced the whole point of the reason why he's like, oh, yeah, and the Joker founded Gotham. You know, he's been there since before Gotham was founded, goes back to the origins of the word Gotham as a place that was inhabited by fools back in English folklore. So it's, you know, so on the one hand, Snyder like sat down, did his research. It's like, hmm, let me see how to connect these dots. So it's super connected in a for a formalist person like myself. I'm like, wow. That is a connect the dots of, you know, Batman slaying a big Joker dragon that really looks like it. But there, but there was also just part of it that's like, and even as the story keeps moving from, you know, set piece, action piece to set piece, action piece throughout Endgame, I, I, I'm like, okay, this isn't as static for me as, as Hickman stuff. But there is still kind of a weird core of the, you no, know, you guys have to be upset about this because I say so kind of thing. You know mm-hmm. that and 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 that's 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 Snyder saying it's sort of about the characters. The characters really are sort of starting to lose for me, maybe it's just because of how stinking old I am, but it it's it's like I'm not sure how elastic these characters are anymore that you can just sort of balloon animal tie them into different shapes and things, you know. It seems to me back in the days where, you know, Starlin was introducing the Blood Brothers and all of Titan into, um, you know, Iron Man, he didn't really have Iron Man step forward and say, you know, because I represent the forces of of unbridled capitalism and the market power, like, I have to stop this errant invasion of what
1: appears to be like, you know, tea drinking socialists. Like That would just... be amazing. I would be so on board with that. <laughs> like, if that was, like, 1971 Iron Man, <laughs> that would be the greatest thing. Sure. That would be
0: great, because then it's in that framework of, like, oh, my God, look at what people thought were decent comics back in 1971. But now part of me really <laughs> does have that idea of, like... But now I realize it's from terrible. Now. Yeah, well, no, it's... I mean, it's, like, it has its enjoyments. There are times when... When 70s Marvel, which I deeply adore, is about that subtle. But maybe it was yeah, just because yeah. I was young and naive. But I also kind of felt like characters were able to sort of... They didn't get stretched too far out of their original context in order to have to make things happen. And now I just feel like the the, the incessant plot hammering has set people up... Have, have, has set up situations where we're like... Yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, maybe not. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's it. I, unfortunately, as as much as I just adored looking at the pretty pictures in Batman 40, and as much time as I sort of spent, like, kind of turning it around in my head and thinking of new connections that I thought were kind of cool, I still had kind of a basically, like, yeah, that didn't really... Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there's a little uh, bit of a, maybe, maybe uh, not, uh, uh. Uh, and because and because it's serious. I mean, it it would literally be as if Bob Haney's Brave Brave and the Bold was the flagship book of the DC universe, and everything that Bob Haney wrote in it was canon. You know what I mean? You've got a little bit of the again. You're not not
1: selling me on this. Well, sure. There's a way in which that's absolutely delightful, but on the other hand, you're like,
0: yeah, but that's not a good idea.
1: Okay, so I'm going to jump something else entirely. I was going to talk okay. about Convergence, but then I looked at how long we've been talking, and there's something I do want to talk about before we get to the end, okay. which is Opus. Did you read Opus? Yes,
0: yes, yeah, Satoshi Khan's Opus, right. Yes, right.
1: Um, because listeners who remember last episode mm-hmm. might remember that I pretty much said, I'm ambivalent about it, and I'm convinced that you're going to love it. I'm ambivalent about it. Right. So question number one, did you love it? Uh,
0: I mostly loved it. I have to say that I, uh, Eric Roop, who, uh, suggested that we read it. I, I think I, I, thank you, Eric, because it's one of those things that I had meant to, um, was kind of like way back on the to-do list forever. So fast tracking that and getting that read. Yes, I did enjoy it for people who don't know Satoshi Khan's opus is being published in one volume by Dark Horse Manga. Uh, it is... I'll, I'll read the back, and it yes. will
1: tell everyone that what they need to know. It's so, actually Khan, director of Paprika, Paranoia Agent, Tokyo Godfathers, Millennium Actress, and Perfect Blue. Died tragically young in 2010 at the age of 46. But before he began his anime career in the 1990s, he was one of Japan's most talented manga artists. Opus is Khan's metafictional tale of Chicago. Oh, God. Chikara Nagai. Nagai? Nejai? Mm-hmm. Which would you go with?
0: Uh, Nagai, I think.
1: Nagai. Uh, a creator mo- under pressure to finish his latest graphic novel, Resonance, who finds that the harshest critic of the shock ending he's got planned is the character who will have to die in it. Nagai's strengths and weaknesses as a creator are tested beyond their limits, as his present and his past, and the worlds of the manga and of reality become the levels of a maze he may never escape let alone get a chance to revol- resolve the story.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And what's funny to me now reading that mm-hmm. is that um, that specifically addresses my biggest problem with it, which is it doesn't finish, which makes it an amazingly unsatisfying experience. Huh, does it? Has yes, it I, I, had, I had such problems with the fact that literally it just stopped because he didn't finish the story. Mm. Um, because there are a lot of, uh, for me, almost all the manga I've ever read has plot contrivance for the sake of plot contrivance. Mm -hmm. Um, has very much like, here's a complication, doesn't make sense, but complication, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I I feel it's part of the format of of the weekly format where you have to just continually come up with cliffhangers. And so you have stories that just go on far too long. Mm-hmm. And have far too many complications that don't actually make any narrative sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite that, an opus, mm-hmm. there's a sense that he's trying to build towards saying something, mm. and then he just doesn't say it because the book never gets finished.
0: Well, okay, so so we so we have a monk. See, it's funny because I am dubious. Uh, I, I I'm not I'm not super familiar with a lot of of Khan's work. I did see um, Perfect Blue uh, and Perfect Blue is a story about a manga actress who is uh, losing her mind uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And I think, unless I have it mistaken with a different one of Khan's movies is the movie that I think Darren Aronofsky specifically licensed before making Black Swan because he had sequences in Black Swan that were taken so strongly right from the work. So if you've got, if you're familiar, I don't know. Black Swan is uh, maybe cluttering the issue, but when I started reading Opus. I feel that Khan has a lot of affection for onion-shaped reality. That That's just like, that's his thing. It was, it was a big aspect in Perfect Blue. But there's times where I'm not sure that he is interested in it in a truly psychological kind of way, you know? So in a way, part of what I enjoyed about Opus I guess walking in it into it from kind of uh, like, oh, this is from a guy who did Perfect Blue. Is it going to be sort of a meditative nature, uh, you know, a meditation on the nature of reality? It sort of is, but by and large, it strikes me as like a 300-page kind of Buster Keaton comedy, you know, where it's like where half the fun is coming up with witty ways for – the characters who are in a manga, once they start transcending it, once they start realizing that it's fake, the degree of fakery that they notice in it. I mean, to me, there's just something that's so inherently witty to to the idea that you have a manga where because an, uh, um, an assistant drew a ventilation shaft so realistically that a character... From inside the manga is able to crawl out of it and steal the page in which he's going to get killed and thus prevent that story from happening. You know what i mean it's It's so I don't know, purple rose of Cairo
1: in a way i i, I found a lot of it like, "Huh, that's a smart idea," mm. or huh, that's kind of funny mm-hmm. but nothing beyond that mm-hmm. i feel that I feel that for metatext to work as an extended narrative, yes. You have to go beyond the. Here's something wacky. They're fictional, but they're interacting with their creator. Right. Why? Why? Especially because there's been so fucking much of that. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and, and so Opus never never delivered that for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I I kind of understand
0: because part of me is sort of like I like I was really shocked by how much it, as it went on. It was like. Oh my God, he really is treating this like it's a manga. He's playing with having his you know, it's it's basically the manga equivalent of the last action hero, which not a lot of people remember fondly, which in a way is a shame and in in a way is probably very well deserved. But, you know, it's it's to me, it's a farce. And there's a few points I think there might have been there there is a point very the closest it comes to really manifesting a serious point is um in in the course of you know you've got this manga who's created a uh, manga artist who's created a long running manga called Resonance that is about a group of psychic people in the near future who are fighting against the mask who represents the forces of you know, control and behind his anonymous mask, he's created a, a, a hideous cult where people have. I mean, in a way, it's very. It, it's it's also very multiversity. You know, people are basically join this cult to strap on these goggles to essentially have an experience of feeling what it's like to be one with the universe, um, even as they find themselves aware that the feeling that they're having is not entirely legit. Like there's something that is fraudulent about it that makes the mask a quote unquote villain. I mean, apart from all of his other willingness to kill whoever gets in his way, but it's clearly set up that what essentially the mask is in his, as the villain is someone who is pushing a false experience of the world off onto people there is a very sort of loose, wiggly line between connecting the mask and the manga artist for a good chunk of it, because we're aware of how much the manga artist himself has created a narrative that is doing a disservice to the characters that are in it, but also very frequently is itself a fake experience. The number of times where he and his comrades get tripped up by something that he didn't put enough thought into drawing out um, the first time around renders it kind of incapable, you know, renders it useless for them. But there's, there's a point really far in where the manga artist has a flashback to his own childhood and the, the manga villain appears in that flashback. And to me, the only part of this worth sort of worth continuing the the narrative for in a way is the idea of is the mask sort of a is the is that it points towards something that Khan never really gets a place to go to, which is to what extent is the desire to create? does that come from a need for power and control from a time when one was bullied and powerless and how much of it's how much of that need for power is while understandable ultimately sort of corruptive in evil like how much how we always talk about art and artistic creation as 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 a creative process you know but it seems like khan has a point where he's it sort of points off in the direction of you know oh but what if it's not what if it is actually the needs of of a very of lonely isolated people who need to control something and therefore end up creating narratives that only um recreate their dysfunction, I suppose.
1: The thing is, is that... I think, you're, I think you're giving Khan and the book, are, or at least the book, a lot more credit than it deserves. Well... With that th- reading. See, I think that I, scene I, is... I, you you I, don't I, think so. You're, you're like, yeah. no, Jeff. I'm, uh, I'm no, like, wow, Justine, I wanted yes. to read that, and I did not yeah, read I like, that. I, yeah, I would have loved to have read that book. <laughs> Well, uh, and yes. I don't think that book is is there at all. I think he is commenting on the nature of creativity. Yes. And I think that he is, but I think he's doing it in a much more facile way. Mm-hmm. And I think that his interest is much more in the level of uh, creativity as a subconscious and unfinished work
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in that he, I mean, the book actively talks about the fact that uh you know, there's scenes where they go into the background and the background is just yep. cardboard cutouts yes. because he didn't spend enough time on it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the people around them are just faceless because he didn't spend enough time on it. Yes. But there's also a sense of he's consistently surprised by the world and the people with which he's created because he created them for one specific purpose and didn't consider a life beyond that. Yes,
0: absolutely. Um, well, so let me just be I, clear sorry, because yeah. I, I don't want to cut you off and these are good points. But I do want to say – that that all that stuff that I said is in the book for maybe
1: all of two pages, maybe four. Well, that that's just, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, so, I'm not even sure it's really in that book. But, uh, <laughs> I, think I, that, I think you're getting a lot out of that. Right. That is maybe not what he put in.
0: Well, I'm half convinced that, that that is the stage where he was like, yeah, this is where I actually have something to say that I'm pointing to and somewhere around the end of where this volume ends, not his little, you know, posthumous epilogue, is very much kind of him being like, oh, but fuck it. Like seriously, by the time that he's got it where his characters have all managed to sort of fuck up the the events of the first volume and are and are rapidly plummeting down to the second volume of his manga like i'm like yeah he's never like the way if he does want to address this he just realizes he's never going to get a chance to genuinely address this uh mm-hmm. in in the book and like you said a lot of it really does sort of start off like i think i think you're right there's a there's a lot there that is about Creation is subconscious and unfinished works, and therefore the idea that opus is itself unfinished for entirely different reasons uh, was kind of satisfying to me.
1: I would feel. Oh, it was it was, it was the very opposite. It is honestly the most frustrating thing <laughs> that I have read in a long time. Interesting, and, and to be honest, the epilogue mm-hmm. only added to my frustration. Interesting, because the epilogue I found just. Like far too cute. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like, wah wah, and here's my creation in the story about the creation coming to life, coming to life and talking to me. Yes, uh, uh, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't do this. See, whereas um,
0: I thought that there was a lot through there that that was at that level of it. It really is a pretty goofy book, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's goofy, but I think it's goofy because it. Fails to be anything else mm. like i i don't think it's goofy in the sense of like oh this is wacky and funny mm-hmm. i think it's goofy in the sense of like it was just never fully realized and so you have to like in order to accept this fictional world
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have to sort of write off a lot by going hey it's wacky
0: <laughs> well that could be
1: like like i it feels it feels goofy in the sense of like Golden Age comics feel goofy now, mm-hmm. which is, you know, again they were not cre- they were created to be you know daring do, mm-hmm. an adventure, and they're goofy because you read them from today's point of view and you are like, oh shit, like this, there is so much lacking and there is so much that's taken for granted that is flawed and and you know it it becomes retroactively goofy, uh, and I and I feel that that's the way in which Opus is goofy. I don't think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think I think you have a. A much kinder point of view for this book, than I do.
0: Well, yes that that does seem seem to be the the, the truth. Um, yeah. Uh, well. Um, so Graham.
1: <laughs> so Jeff.
0: Uh, part of me is like, oh, which reminds me, I should talk about it. what should we do? No, no, no. Oh, oh, talk, talk a, yeah, talk a little, more, and then we'll we'll
1: cut off in like ten.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, convergence, Shazam. I, I figured you'd want to talk about that. Since what that what did you think, Jeff? Uh, pff, it was. It was. I was expecting to like it, and I. Oh, you didn't. I, I actually kind of adored it. I mean, how do like I put it? it? I, yeah, you're it's like, like, oh, you don't like this comic. I guess what I was saying is, is part of me was very much like, uh, okay, something along the lines of it's only two, two. It's a two-issue mini or whatever. It's going to look great. I can't imagine considering everything that's in there that behind the premise and everything that it's going to I just figured the story would be more of a hash than it was. And actually I entirely enjoyed it top to bottom in uh the art was unbelievably like just so gorgeous I wanted to cry. But
1: yeah, it's Evan Shaner and, and Jordy Belair together. Yeah. Because right. the colors are so good. Oh, what... exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's
0: it's just, it's such a beautiful book. It is gorgeous. But one of the things that impressed me was, was how Parker did such a great job of, A, delineating the story, and B, I think one of the things that was, to me, super clever about it is how much of the original Captain Marvel stories – revolve around Billy Batson uh, being robbed of his powers, and so therefore the kind of first half of the Convergence setup lends itself pretty much perfectly to, you know, a, a classic Captain Marvel situation of, like, these guys are captured by super powerful villains, you know, there's no way they're going to escape, and then they escape, and there's a lot of joyous punching. Just fabulous just fabulous
1: yeah so it is it's it's such uh uh it's such a wonderful book that simultaneously makes me go i i want to read this every month and i don't because i don't want it to stop being wonderful (laughs) do you know what i mean like at some point they will disappoint me and i don't want to be disappointed because i love it so much um yeah it's a lovely little book it really is yeah
0: i i would be so exceptionally happy if they they managed to get an ongoing out of this because it really is kind of the perfectly modulated Shazam that I want to read. And yet there's a way in which part of me also feels like you can only, I don't know. So much depends on what DC decides to be like once it comes out of Convergence, you know, because there's a way in which I'm like, I don't have a lot of faith in DC To like, it was a little bit like Superman 40. Like, well, before Superman 40, where you and I were talking, where I'm like, God, Gene Yang, I can't wait to see him on Superman. But part of me is like, but how can he not sort of like, but he's just going to get steamrolled by the DC editorial machine, you know, and he's just going to end up having like a hugely compromised run because. They don't know how to treat him, you know, like part of me is sort of like unless they don't. Right. Unless they don't. So part of me is kind of hopeful, like in a perfect world, it would be like, hey, this book, you know, everyone loves it. They decide to give Shazam another go and it doesn't have to worry about the next Dan Dio event where everyone, you know, is replaced by their own, I don't know, stomach
1: fauna, you know, like, I don't know. Hey, Stomach Fauna S- September. It's going to be great.
0: <laughs> stomach Fauna September.
1: Yeah. So 52 books, all of which feature x-rays of each character's stomach. Well, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, see, that's the great thing. It's the superheroes, but in enormous microbial form. So you get to see <laughs> giant you know, stomach fauna and microbes like wearing the outfits and <laughs> flying through the air and actually attacking evil villainous sources of like heartburn, constipation and poor digestion wherever they arise wherever and they All arise
1: of them it. look like the Joker, which I think was a really subtle thing of them today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well,
0: <laughs> come on. Let's face it. It's clear um, that they're going to but... find out that what's really behind it. Yeah. No. Um so, yeah, Graham, any other books you really want to hit or talk about or the uh, points you want to yeah, make okay. that I cut you off there, from? There's
1: a couple of things I want to uh, talk about very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not out yet. I think it's out in a couple of weeks. Uh, Batman Earth 1 Volume 2. Yes. Um, I loved. Did you? <laughs> like i didn't just like i loved
0: wow uh
1: i i loved so much i went back and reread volume one i was like did i like volume one this much
0: you could and know, i didn't
1: right? yeah i was about to say I, volume one was
0: kind of a mess
1: now i like volume one i remember liking it but um volume two i really really liked uh and it's in a really weird way it feels like jeff john's being much more relaxed than he normally is, mm-hmm. uh, and definitely taking advantage of the the page space, like mm-hmm. the amount of space in the, uh, in the book. Um, but yeah, it's it seems it's a really I really like the way they're what they're doing and what, the way they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 very much ultimate Batman. Mm-hmm. There's no way around that. But but it's Ultimate Batman done in a way that I am completely on board with. Even the the gratuitous switches from what you expect work. And and fascinatingly, they're not that different from the ones in Superman Earth 1. Mm -hmm. But whereas in Superman Earth 1, I mean, they're astonishingly close. That's all I'm going to say. But whereas in Superman Earth 1, I rubbed my eyes in Batman Earth 1. I was like, okay, I can buy that. Mm -hmm. Which is really, really interesting to me. Um, Also this week, I read the entire Star Wars Legacy run by Karina Bechko and uh, Gabriel Hardman.
0: Holy smokes, man.
1: It's only like 18 issues. Oh, okay. Um, but it's great. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? No. Have you read any of it? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, well, now that it's on Marvel Unlimited, although if you're like me and you have an Amazon Kindle, you might not be able to read any of those comics on the Marvel Unlimited app because for some reason they all come up as blank pages. No other comic on the Marvel Unlimited comics app Comes up as blank pages, but all of the Star Wars ones do. Wow, which I find so weird. Um, yeah, it's super weird, right? It's mm-hmm. really strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I got them out of the library in the end. I got the, the Dark Horse collection at the library, mm-hmm. and it is it's great. Hmm. It's it's Star Warsy enough mm-hmm. in all the right ways, mm-hmm. uh, but it also works very much as like you know science fiction action adventure. And so I, I was sold. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I have to say, I enjoyed it more than Invisible Republic, their, their current image book.
0: Huh. Interesting. And why is that? Because it's the Star Wars-iness of it, sort of?
1: It is the Star Wars-iness. Uh, and not in the, like, I only want to read Star Wars stories. Mm-hmm. But tonally, it's much more what I want to read. Right. Tonally, it's much less, like, it's space. Space is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I've, I feel like I've read enough... Not even dystopian science fiction, cause because Misurupa is not dystopian science fiction. But just like, have you ever gone to space? Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. I don't mean to cut you off,
0: but I just realized how we will make bajillions of dollars, and it's going to be in a podcast I call Space Winnie the Pooh, in which we reenact <laughs> Winnie the Pooh stories from space. And Space Eeyore is going to be the biggest breakout character ever because you've nailed the voice of Space Eeyore in a way. That speaks to everyone. Young, Listeners, old, people in space, it.
1: people not in space. If you want to send in pictures of Eeyore, the famous Disney Eeyore, uh, with a space helmet on, you might just make Jeff Stay. You,
0: you my week, because my week was made just hearing you go, space, it's space, you know, it's just oh my god. My God, space Eeyore is the best. Anyway, so yes.
1: S- the Star, so yeah, I, Star, Star Wars, yeah, mm-hmm. Star Wars, Legacy. i Legacy. Uh, I yeah. collected really confusingly under the name Star Wars Legacy Volume Two, books one through four.
3: <laughs> I know,
1: really, um, but if you're like me and you've got a good library system, uh, right? Because I guess you can't buy them anymore. Get them, um, get them out. There, they're, they're, it's really strong Star Wars stuff. Huh.
0: I will check that out. I, of course, do have like I. I read one of the Star Wars books. Just kind of, I've grabbed the. Archie Goodwin, Michael Gold, God, why am I blocking out his name? Michael Golden's uh, issue, like, 38. It's literally the issue right before the, the the Empire Strikes Back issue, and it looked beautiful. So part of me is like, I, I, I will check it out. If I can check it out on the iPad, I will try and check it out, because Dylan Todd wrote a um, really great Comics Alliance piece. Uh, that I'll probably have to link to now talking about the various Star Wars books that one should grab before Dark Horse stopped mm-hmm. you know producing them and what's amazing is is that it's such a great little um playlist to start being able to hunt through the Marvel app and you yeah. know this is something that uh that I think Matt Turrell pointed out that he's absolutely right I would love the ability to to create and share Curated playlists uh, in reading lists in Marvel Unlimited.
1: That would yes. Just be... That would that. Uh, I don't see that would be a no brainer, but it also completely plays against Marvel's control of the material. So mm-hmm. it's right. a no brainer for readers, but not for Marvel. <laughs> well, as as
0: is so much of the case with the Marvel Unlimited app. I should mention Super quick, uh, even though I don't, uh, I can't even begin to wrap my head around it enough to discuss it. That I read a hundred and eight chapters of a manga called Sunken Rock through Crunchyroll while you were reading all your Star Wars stuff. I read, you know, 105... It, it the, each, each one of those is, you know, 15 to 20 pages. A few of those chapters were uh, big finale chapters that were 90 pages long. Um, Sunken Rock, if I ever wanted to show you one manga that would make you, like retract from humanity forevermore it would probably be sunken rock because it is and yet you read 108 chapters yeah well you and i have slightly different tastes graham i mean but there were points where i was like even for me i was like oh this is a little too much because sunken rock is basically a well let's just say that it makes crying freeman look nuanced Let's let's just. I think that that is a, a fair assessment. Sunken Rock is the story of a Japanese nobody who comes to Korea to follow his true love, who is a uh, woman who is going to who becomes a top Korean policewoman. He's in love with her because he's sort of a a, a narr- He's he basically can't do anything except. Fight exceptionally well with his fists. He, of course, becomes the head of the most powerful Korean triad gang in 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 the country. Um, the way in which his rise from nobody to basically. It's a, it's a weird book. It's a lot of, because what's amazing is, is that it starts off very heavily in the comedic vein. It's like, oh, here's the slacker in Korea and he's got a miserable life to somehow, once he gets recruited by this gang who recognizes inherently that he is like the most powerful man in the world because of his, um, because of his beliefs for, uh, in protecting the innocent and the weak, which is great Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's fascinating because it's, uh, it takes the Shonen formula that you can see in Shonen Jump where it's basically a good natured top, you know, top of the line, unbeatable fighter. Who's basically also a good natured guy who just likes to eat food and, and nap and is in love with an unattainable woman who is, you know, they have a star crossed destiny together. It's, It's very, it's very like, oh, this is for like 13 year olds, except it's very much for emotionally, (laughs) emotionally arrested young men who are like, yeah, I want to read that story. But I'd really like to read it with a lot more like absolutely ridiculously copious nudity. And if possible, like a, a lot more watching people just get punched into a paste. So it's.
1: It's. It sounds just like my thing, Jeff.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Graham. Believe me, there was there there is an insane. I don't even know. There's like a barbecue sequence that somehow turns into a a a, a ketchup and mayonnaise bukkake sequence. That I was like, oh, I can't just think. I could show this to Graham, and he would. He would actually never talk to me again. This would be... This is it. I don't even think this he would so, actually... how so I end the podcast. This is it. This is... Now I know. Right, exactly. I have my exit card. Um, it's really fascinating. I mean, parts of it were... And don't get me wrong. There's parts of it where until it went too far over the top... Like so far over the top that I was like, oh guys, this is not right, you know. Like it really engages in ab- absolutely hands down all of the worst, most uh, offensive uh, treatment of women that that you do not want in certainly in American comics. But like it's sort of for me, there's kind of a thing of like, okay, the great thing about this sort of is in Japan this is only being this is not being serialized in shonen jump this is clearly being serialized in a manga magazine aimed for you know 22 year olds and no kids are ever going to see this unless they happen to have a subscription to crunchyroll in which case they can read the entire fucking thing uh is 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 a little alarming but i have to say it's it was kind of a, I just can't stop reading it. It was the, have you ever had, this is great. You're from the UK, so you know, that you I, I've got a metaphor that will work for you. Graham, you know when you have that bag of crisps that are unattractively flavored, but you can't stop eating them?
1: Oh, yes. There we go. That's what I'm talking uh, about. I like, I like that metaphor would have worked in America as well. But he just <laughs> wants to use the word crisp. So you're like, it's a it's a British metaphor, Graham. I'm using the word crisp. I'm
0: using the word crisp. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not kidding, Graham. I don't know if you've paid attention, but like UK crisps, crisp technology. I, there's, there's,
1: there's far more flavors in the UK than there are in America. Exactly, that is,
0: exactly. And that's what I mean. It's just like. Which I never
1: quite understood.
0: I don't. I, no one does. It's a mystery. Well, except for the fact that, that when you get right down to it, people in the US are taste wimps. We are really just taste wimps for the most part. We like we like stuff that tastes good, we like to, stuff that tastes sweet, and anything in that framework is great. But no, but the idea that you it's like oh here have a have a curry potato chip like people will be like why would I do that I don't understand why why am I ill why would I be eating that
1: <laughs> am I ill. <laughs> <laughs> Why would any human being do that? Yeah, so, exactly,
0: exactly. But so, yeah, so so I mean, it. I, I think it is actually, I could have said potato chips, but it is very hard to get a, a, a potato chip situation quite like that. Because it's really just sort of like, I don't quite like this level of barbecued potato chip as much as the previous type of barbecued potato chip, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I was trying to be cosmopolitan, man. You, it worked, Jeff. <laughs> you, you did a great job. Thank you.
1: Thank you, everybody. So we got to jump because I know you've got a hard stop. It's coming up. Yes, yes, we should. We should totally jump. Okay. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to this special, very special episode of Wade Watch uh, recorded on a Sunday. So uh, neither Jeff nor I are thinking about work. Uh, and also in the middle of the day like that we, we were doing this over lunch yep. who knew did we sound different leave notes in the comments and tell us yes can you tell let us know <laughs> well I, I do feel that both of us are a little bit wackier today we are a little bit less run down by the week <laughs> we're, we're both a little sort of off um, anyway we will be back next week with the Baxter building oh gosh is it Baxter building next week it's Baxter building which means that I don't know about you Jeff but I have to read a Holy shit do of shit. I I'm four, like, oh in the god. next three days oh my god <laughs> Graham,
0: I think if you look at the calendar, I don't know. Okay. Well that's fine. We could probably Wait, is, bump. Is it, it not one a more. Baxter building? Is a, a, a skip week nice one? No, 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 no. We did the skip week. The the problem is just how these things layer up. Technically we are coming up on Oh, never mind. Let's just do the Baxter no, building. Hi, no, let, no no let, no, because let, I'm very not, much like I'm no, super the, we, that. we record the Baxter building on it's supposed to be on the second week of the month if we can do it.
1: Okay. okay. Uh, and this is, I think, the first week of the month. is I Okay, think we so can do, so let's do a normal episode next week, and then we'll do the Baxter Building the week after. That Perfect. works for me. Perfect. Great. And it also gives us more time to read Fantastic Four. Exactly. People, won't we'll be back next week with the Baxter Building. We'll be back next week with another regular episode, and then we'll do a Baxter Building. Yeah, You heard us. You heard us. That out right here. On the podcast, professionalism in action. That's right, literally
0: in action. It is literally happening before your very eyes, and you should be terrified. Jeff, where can people find us? Graham, where can't they find us? They can look at uh, uh, they can look at on Tumblr at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. There's our website, waitwhatpodcast.com, where there's show notes, and each of us contribute a weekly column of some little bit of. Comics Fantasia. Uh, they can find us on wow. Twitter. I feel like I have to step up my name to game to get Comics Fantasia in there. Well, you know, you can do it. I've totally, I, I back you, Graham. Uh, we're on Twitter as Wait What Podcast and individually and separately where you'll find us each saying crazy things all the time on Twitter. Graham <laughs> is at Car- crazy. crazy at Graham M. That's G R A E. M E M And I am on Twitter as lazy bastard L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D, for people who remember their Lobo comics fondly. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon, uh, where thanks to, I think it's 104 individuals or something crazy like that now, um, support us and make this all possible incredibly, incredibly possible. Uh, If not for them, I would be living in a ditch by now for sure. Uh, Oh, my God. Why won't you show me when it's – Patreon is such a dick.
1: It's 104. It's 104. Is it? Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. I just want to know why – I even though you can't. You know, the great thing is, is I put a little slash mark at the end of it, and it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, it's just Wait What Podcast. Patreon.com slash Wait What Podcast. Thank you, all 104 individuals. You are the best. Uh, did I get everything? I can't believe that I, I might I
1: think you did. Oh, my God. Wow. I think
0: you got it all. Which is great. You can tell the difference between Graham and I because Graham can do that concisely and clearly in 11 seconds. And that was four and a half minutes.
1: So... Uh, Graham do you want to sing us out well first of all I want to say I think we all owe Jeff Lester a round of applause not only for doing this podcast not only for taking four and a half minutes to tell everyone where to find us but also because listeners what you don't know is because we're recording on Sunday Jeff's going to have to basically edit this as soon as we stop recording that's right that's so really everyone owes Jeff around a round of applause and aside from that bye that's a lovely thing, a lovely thing. thank you Graham